Chapter 7 The party people have left the dorm. I munch on vending machine snacks and update my website. So far I've tried, a bounty bar, which turned out to be the same thing as a mounds, and a package of madelines, shell-shaped cakes that were stale and made me thirsty. Together they've raised my blood sugar to a sufficient working level. Since I have no new movies to review for Femme Film Freak, as I'm severed from everything good and pure and wonderful about America, the cinema, I fiddle with the layout. Create a new banner. Edit an old review. In the evening, Bridge emails me. Went with Matt and Cherry M, for Meretricious, to the movies last night. And guess what? Toph asked about you. I told him you're great but you're really looking forward to your December visit. I think he got the hint. We talked about his band for a minute, still no shows, of course, but Matt was making faces the whole time, so we had to go. You know how he feels about Toph. Oh. And Cherry tried to talk us into seeing your dad's latest tearjerker. I know. You suck. Come home. Bridge. Meretricious. Showily attractive but cheap or insincere. Yes. That is so cherry. I just hope Bridge didn't make me sound too desperate, despite my longing for Toph to email me. And I can't believe Matt is still weird around him, even though we're not dating anymore. Everyone likes Toph. Well, sometimes he annoys the managers, but that's because he tends to forget his work schedule. And Colin's sick. I read her email again, hoping for the words Toph says he's madly in love with you, and he'll wait for all eternity to appear. No such luck. So I browse my favorite message board to see what they're saying about dad's new film. The reviews for the decision aren't great, despite what it's raking in at the box office. One regular, Clockwork Orange 88, said this, it sucked balls. Dirty balls. Like I ran a mile in July while wearing leather pants balls. Sounds about right. After a while I get bored and do a search for like water for chocolate. I want to make sure I haven't missed any themes before writing my essay. It's not due for two weeks, but I have a lot of time on my hands right now. Like, all night. Blah blah blah. Nothing interesting. And I'm just about to recheck my email when this passage leaps from the screen, throughout the novel, heat is a symbol for sexual desire. Tita can control the heat inside her kitchen, but the fire inside of her own body is a force of both strength and destruction. Anna? Someone knocks on my door, and it startles me out of my seat. No. Not someone. St. Clair. I'm wearing an old Mayfield Dairy t-shirt, complete with yellow and brown cow logo, and hot pink flannel pajama bottoms covered in giant strawberries. I am not even wearing a bra. Anna, I know you're in there. I can see your light. Hold on a second. I blurt. I'll be right there. I grab my black hoodie and zip it up over the cow's face before wrenching open the door. Hisori about tat. Come in. I open the door wide but he stands there for a moment, just staring at me. I can't read the expression on his face. Then he breaks into a mischievous smile and brushes past me. Nice strawberries. Shut up. No, I mean it. Cute. And even though he doesn't mean it like I want to leave my girlfriend and start dating you cute, something flickers inside of me. The force of strength and destruction Tita de la Garza knew so well. St. Clair stands in the center of my room. He scratches his head, and his t-shirt lifts up on one side, exposing a slice of bare stomach. Thunk. My inner fire ignites. It's really, er, clean, he says. Fizz. Flames extinguished. Is it? I know my room is tidy, but I haven't even bought a proper window cleaner yet.
Whoever cleaned my windows last had no idea how Tao's a bottle of Windex. The key is to only spray a little at a time. Most people spray too much and then it gets in the corners, which are hard to dry without leaving streaks or lint behind, yes. Alarmingly so. St. Clair wanders around, picking up things and examining them like I did in Meredith's room. He inspects the collection of banana and elephant figurines lined up on my dresser. He holds up a glass elephant and raises his dark eyebrows in question. It's my nickname. Elephant? He shakes his head. Sorry, I don't see it. Anna Elephant. Banana Elephant. My friend collects those for me, and I collect toy bridges and sandwiches for her. Her name is Bridget Saunderwick, I add. St. Clair sets down the glass elephant and wanders to my desk. So can anyone call you Elephant? Banana Elephant. And no. Definitely not. I'm sorry, he says. But not for that. What? Why? You're fixing everything I set down. He nods at my hands, which are readjusting the elephant. It wasn't polite of me to come in and start touching your things. Oh, it's okay, I say quickly, letting go of the figurine. You can touch anything of mine you want. He freezes. A funny look runs across his face before I realize what I've said. I didn't mean it like that. Not that that would be so bad. But I like Toph, and St. Clair has a girlfriend. And even if the situation were different, Mare still has dibs. I'd never do that to her after how nice she was my first day. And my second. And every other day this week. Besides, he's just an attractive boy. Nothing to get worked up over. I mean, the streets of Europe are filled with beautiful guys, right? Guys with grooming regimens and proper haircuts and stylish coats. Not that I've seen anyone even remotely as good-looking as Monsieur Etienne St. Clair. But still. He turns his face away from mine. Is it my imagination, or does he look embarrassed? But why would he be embarrassed? I'm the one with the idiotic mouth. Is that your boyfriend? He points to my laptop's wallpaper, a photo of my co-workers and me goofing around. It was taken before the midnight release of the latest fantasy novel-to-film adaptation. Most of us were dressed like elves or wizards. The one with his eyes closed? What? He thinks I date a guy like Hercules? Hercules is an assistant manager. He's ten years older than me and, yes, that's his real name. And even though he's sweet and knows more about Japanese horror films than anyone, he also has a ponytail. A ponytail. Anna, I'm kidding. This one. Sideburns. He points to Toph, the reason I love the picture so much. Our heads are turned into each other, and we're wearing secret smiles, as if sharing a private joke. Oh. Uh, no. Not really. I mean, Toph was my almost boyfriend. I moved away before. I trail off, uncomfortable. Before much could happen. St. Clair doesn't respond. After an awkward silence, he puts his hands in his pockets and rocks back on his heels. Provide for all. What? I'm startled. Tout pourvoir. He nods at a pillow on my bed. The words are embroidered above a picture of a unicorn. It was a gift from my grandparents, and the motto and crest are for the Oliphant clan. A long time ago, my grandfather moved to America to marry my grandmother, but he's still devoted to all things Scottish. He's always buying Shawnee and me things decorated with the clan tartan, blue and green checkered, with black and white lines. For instance, my bedspread. Yeah, I know that's what it means. But how did you know? Tout pourvoir. It's French. Excellent. 
The Oliphant clan motto, drilled into my head since infancy, turns out to be in French, and I didn't even know it. Thanks, Grandad. As if I didn't already look like a moron. But how was I supposed to know a Scottish motto would be in French? I thought they hated France. Or is that just the English? Arg, I don't know. I always assumed it was in Latin or some other dead language. Your brother? St. Clair points above my bed to the only picture I've hung up. Shawnee is grinning at the camera and pointing at one of my mother's research turtles, which is lifting its neck and threatening to take away his finger. Mom is doing a study on the lifetime reproductive habits of snapping turtles and visits her brood in the Chattahoochee River several times a month. My brother loves to go with her, while I prefer the safety of our home. Snapping turtles are mean. Yep. That's Sean. That's a little Irish for a family with tartan bedspreads. I smile. It's kind of a sore spot. My mom loved the name, but Grandad, my father's father, practically died when he heard it. He was rooting for Malcolm or Ewan or Dougal instead. St. Clair laughs. How old is he? Seven. He's in the second grade. That's a big age difference. Well, he was either an accident or a last-ditch effort to save a failing marriage. I've never had the nerve to ask which. Wow. I can't believe I just blurted that out. He sits down on the edge of my bed. Your parents are divorced? I hover by my desk chair because I can't sit next to him on the bed. Maybe when I'm used to his presence, I might be able to manage that particular feat. But not yet. Yeah. My dad left six months after Sean was born. I'm sorry. And I can tell he means it. Mine are separated. I shiver and tuck my hands underneath my arms. Then I'm sorry, too. That sucks. It's all right. My father's a bastard. So is mine. I mean, obviously he is, if he left us when Shawnee was a baby. Which he totally did. But it's also his fault I'm stuck here. In Paris. I know. He does? Mayor told me. But I guarantee you that my father is worse. Unfortunately, he's the one here in Paris, while my mum is alone, thousands of miles away. Your dad lives here? I'm surprised. I know his dad is French, but I can't imagine someone sending their child to boarding school when they live in the same city. It doesn't make sense. He owns an art gallery here and another in London. He divides his time between them. How often do you see him? Never, if I can help it. St. Clair turns sullen, and it dawns on me that I have no idea why he's even here. I say as much. I didn't say. He straightens up. Oh. Well. I knew if someone didn't come and physically drag you outside, you'd never leave. So we're going out. A strange mix of butterflies and churning erupts in my stomach. Tonight? Tonight. Right. I pause. And Ellie? He falls back, and now he's lying down on my bed. Our plans fell through. He says this with a vague wave of his hand, in a way that keeps me from inquiring further. I gesture at my pajama bottoms. I'm not exactly dressed for it. Come on, Anna. Do we honestly have to go through this again? I give him a doubtful look, and the unicorn pillow flies at my head. I slam it back, and he grins, slides off the bed, and smacks me full force. I grab for it but miss, and he hits me again twice before letting me catch it. St. Clair doubles over in laughter, and I whack him on the back. He tries to reclaim it, but I hold on and we wrestle back and forth until he lets go. The force throws me onto the bed, dizzy and sweaty. St. Clair flops down beside me, breathing heavily. 
He's lying so close that his hair tickles the side of my face. Our arms are almost touching. Almost. I try to exhale, but I no longer know how to breathe. And then I remember I'm not wearing a bra. And now I'm paranoid. Okay. He's panting. Here's the pant pant plan. I don't want to feel this way around him. I want things to be normal. I want to be his friend, not another stupid girl holding out for something that will never happen. I force myself up. My hair has gone all crazy and staticky from the pillow fight, so I grab an elastic band off my dresser to pull it back. Put on some proper trousers, he says. And I'll show you Paris. That's it? That's the plan? The whole shebang. Wow. Shebang. Fancy. St. Clair grunts and chucks the pillow at me. My phone rings. It's probably my mom, she's called every night this week. I swipe my cell off my desk, and I'm about to silence the ringer when the name flashes up. My heart stops. Tough. Copyrights Copyright 2010 by Stephanie Perkins